Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. The period of the Exodus, okay? The Exodus is one of the most, well, it is the most referenced event in the Old Testament. Okay, so it's the most referenced event. That's a pretty significant deal. But one of the most repeated exhortations in the Old Testament is the exhortation to remember. Remember what God did. Remember how big God is. Remember how awesome God is. The majority, not all by any means, but the majority of those remember exhortations are actually about remembering the Exodus. And so it's kind of a big deal because there's nothing that the Israelites were told to remember more than the fact that God delivered them out of Egypt with might, with signs and wonders and and miracles and a strong arm. And so I give you a couple of verses there, middle of the page, page one. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Deuteronomy 7 says similarly, Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Israelites told again and again, remember, don't you forget that God did that. But this was not a, uh, an ordinance for the next 30 years or even the next 300 years. This was a decree for, for all of eternity for Israel to always remember. Remember the Exodus. Remember what I did for you. Remember how you got to become a nation. You guys were a bunch of slaves in Egypt and with no hope of getting out of there ever. And no hope of being a nation ever. I got you out of Egypt. I did it. So God is taking the credit and repeatedly calling the people of Israel to remember that circumstance. Now, here, now, if you're a little Jewish boy growing up, Old Testament hour, okay, and your family loves the Lord, you are being told all the time the story of the Exodus. It is being written on your heart. You are being reminded of all the details. You, you know that, you know, your parents and their parents and their, their parents, 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 we're all told, remember this, remember this. It's being uh, handed down generation after generation. Why is that important? This event, in, an, in a very unusual way, is being written on the hearts of the faithful Jewish community, the remnant that stayed obedient to God all those years. This was a very important detail. It was written on their hearts, yes, so that they would actually be able to draw strength from what God had done, yes. But when we read the book of Revelation and we see God does it again, it wasn't just so they could draw strength on what was, it was also that they could look forward to what will be. So the reason that God wrote the Exodus on their hearts so deep was because he's going to do it again. Now, I think this is profound, this, this next uh, thought process. Like we just said, the, the Exodus account is the most referenced Old Testament event. It's the thing God kept saying, remember, remember I did it, remember I did it. Now look at how bizarre, look at how incredible Jeremiah 23, 7 through 8 is in light of that. If it's the biggest thing that ever happened, if it's the thing that Israel's always told, remember, 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 look how profound this is in in Jeremiah 23, bottom of page 1. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, 
who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. Wait, wait, I thought that's what we were always supposed to remember. God brought us out of Egypt, right? It's all written on our hearts, all Jewish boys. Like we remember, we're supposed to have this thing written on our hearts. It says, no longer will that be the big deal. No longer will people say, believe in the Lord, the one who lives, who brought Israel up out of Egypt, but instead they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and up out of all the countries where he had banished them. Then they will live in their own land. You go, what? There's a time that is set in history that will be of a bigger deal to the Jewish people than even the, uh, the Exodus. Yes. And when it says that they will be brought from all the nations where they were banished, and they will be brought and they will settle in their land, it's talking about them settling in their land permanently. And so while, yes, right now there are Jews living in Israel, and that is the result of 1948 and Israel becoming a nation again, that is not the fullness of this promise because there are far more Jews living not in Israel right now than there are Jews living in Israel right now. But God wants all the Jews living in Israel again. And that's going to happen when Jesus Christ becomes king of the planet and he's ruling in Jerusalem and he sets up his millennial kingdom in the age to come. He's going to bring back all the Jews from across all the nations where they've been scattered and he's going to resettle them in Israel. And at that time and forever from that time, Jewish boys and girls will be raised to go, no longer will you say the God who brought us up out of Egypt, but rather the God who did even greater wonders and brought us from all the nations where we'd been scattered and re-founded us in the nation of Israel under the leadership of Jesus. All right? You've been tracking with us for any amount of time. You know that I talk about Matthew, I'm sorry, uh, Micah 7, 15 through 17, as one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's crazy what this verse says. This is not an isolated verse, but it's probably the one that says it the loudest and the clearest. Micah 7.15 promises that the judgments, the miracles, it just says miracles, that the miracles, the wonders that occurred during the Exodus, God is going to do them a second time. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know the Exodus is going to happen again? It's going to happen again. Micah 7.15 As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will lay their hands on their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and they will be afraid of you. Afraid of who? Of the Jewish people. God is going to, like he did with the Israelites coming up out of Egypt. Can you just imagine how freaked out if you're an Egyptian and you see one of the Jews in that hour? Can you just imagine how freaked out you are when the waters turn into blood and frogs are popping up all over the place and all, all manner of insanity is happening. You're like, ah, it's a Jew. It's an Israelite. It's one of those people of the living God. They're freaked out. He says, a time is coming. The whole planet's going to be freaked out again. They're going to be freaked out because I'm going to do the wonders that I did when I brought you out of Egypt. I'm going to do them again. And I'm going to freak the whole planet out. And they are going to revere and respect and honor the Jewish people because they're going to know that the Jewish people's God is the Lord. So now, let's look here at some of the uh, parallels. Now, I'm going to start 
with the judgments, but I want to make it really clear. The judgments of the book of Revelation and the judgments of the Exodus are only one category of similarity. Only one category. There are maybe a dozen or more categories of similarity. And I didn't have a chance to get into all of them. And even the ones that we've got in the notes tonight, we won't be able to cover all of them. So while I'm going to spend probably more time on the judgments and making the parallels between what happened in the Exodus and what's promised in the book of Revelation, while I'm going to spend probably the most amount of time on this one, it's one of a dozen or more parallels. It is not the only parallel. There are a ton of parallels. But let's go ahead and look at it. First of all, it's important that we understand that what occurred during the Exodus was regional in its impact. It impacted one nation, the geographic nation of Egypt. What happens in the end times, you get a global upgrade. And we go from regional impact of Egypt to global impact all 256 nations. You're talking about a global reality in the end times. Now what I'm going to do so that we have a frame of reference, I'm going to read the shortest little version of each of the plagues of Egypt. Okay, I, I gave you those here. I just took like one line or one and a half line, something like that, in order to get the gist of each one of the plagues so that we have a point of comparison when we then try to find the parallels in the book of Revelation. So here, bottom of page two, the plagues of Egypt. In order, the water of the Nile and all the water was changed into blood. Gross. So all the water in Egypt became blood. Not red water, not red algae, Blood. Gross. Next plague. I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. They will come up into the houses. Frog plague? The Lord is so creative. Who even thinks of such things? A frog plague. Like you just know there was a couple of Cajuns and they were like, oh, he's got some gumbo. You know, frog legs. I mean, they were all excited. Probably not. Because uh, there's so many of them. And it just so happens that they all died and they stank which is the worst. But a plague of frogs, you're talking probably, I mean, tens of millions or something. I mean, it was like a lot of frogs. This was not like 500 frogs. This was lots and lots and lots of frogs. It's supernatural. There's way too many frogs. Plague of frogs. 910, uh, Exodus 910. Festering boils broke out on people and animals. Boils. Festering boils, that's so intense. The next one. The Lord rained hail. The worst storm. Hail struck everything. People and animals, everything growing and stripped every tree. Hail that stripped every tree. We've never even heard of such a thing. I mean, we have the worst hailstorm imaginable around here and everybody gets new roofs. It did not strip every tree. I mean, it didn't even touch that. This is the worst hailstorm. It said since Egypt became a nation. This is intense. Next one, the next plague. Locusts invaded all Egypt. Egypt is a big all to try to invade. That's a lot of dirt. All of Egypt was invaded by locusts, a plague of them. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, it says. Top of page three is where I'm at in the notes if you're tracking. The next one. Darkness that can be felt. Felted darkness. This is bad. This is not darkness. You can't feel darkness, no matter how hard you try. This darkness is not normal darkness. You can feel it. It says, darkness that can be felt covered all Egypt. 
Again, that's a lot of square miles. No one could see or move about for three days. A darkness that keeps you from moving about. Something about this darkness means you try to light a lamp and it doesn't work. You can't move about. No one can move about. There's probably terror in the air. They're freaked out of their minds and they don't move for three days. That is a really weird plague. That is the strangest plague of all of them that needs investigation. Because it says a darkness that can be felt, that's the first tip-off that there's something unusual. Second tip-off, I don't care how dark it is, I can light a lamp and get to where I want to go. Not during this darkness plague. This darkness plague said no one could see, no one could move for three days. That is intense. And then the final, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of Egypt. There was not a house without someone dead. Oh my gosh, those are intense. And those are easy by comparison to the trumpets and the bowls. I wanted us to see those judgments because now as we read the trumpets and we read the bowls, you're going to look at them and go, well, I'll be darned. It's the exact same thing. Only this time it's like on crack. It's like worse. It's like really way worse. All right? Let's look at the trumpet judgments. Now, these are quotes right out of Revelation. All right? A minute ago, we were quoting Exodus, the book of Exodus. Now we're quoting Revelation, chapter 8, 9, and 16. All right? So let's look at the trumpet judgments. There came hail hurled down on the earth. Well, darn, that sounds familiar. A third of the sea turned to blood. Uh-oh. That's like what we read about in the Exodus. A third of the waters turned bitter. The sun was struck. A third of the day was without light. Oh, no. Now we're talking about a global version of this darkness kind of stuff. The sun and sky were darkened. Out of the smoke, locusts came. There's the locust plague. Four angels were released to kill a third of mankind. I just put it on there because I was just thinking, if you've got a household during the Exodus and every household had somebody die in it. It said there was not a single household without someone dead. So the household of three, one-third. The household of ten, you know, still at least one, maybe two, depending on how that household was structured. Every household during the Exodus saw someone die. This plague says a third of mankind dies. There came a severe hailstorm. There it is again, hail. Now those are the trumpet judgments. So you see the parallels. It's really clear. Well, now let's go to the bold judgments, which follow the trumpets and which get even more intense. So again, the progression of events, there's seven seals and they are bad judgments. There's seven trumpets and those are way worse. And then there's seven bowls of God's wrath and those are infinitely worse than even the trumpets were. Let's look at the bowls. Revelation 16, 2, ugly festering sores broke out on the people. Well, that's like the boils that we read about in Egypt. The sea turned into blood. There's the blood. The rivers and the springs of water became blood. The beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. There it is. I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. And they go out to the whole world and they gather them for battle. It's interesting. When you look at the plague of frogs in uh, Exodus, it says they got into every home. The, the frogs were all up on people, even in their homes. They're trying to sleep, and there's frogs ribbiting across their bed and pooping on their head, all right? There's frogs in every home. 
Here it is. We see these frogs, these spirits of frogs, or whatever we're looking at, are dispatched to the whole earth. It's very interesting, just that, that parallel alone. But again, frogs, frogs. All right, so I, I just want us to see this. When we read the Micah 7 cha- uh, verse that we read a minute ago that said, in those days I will once again show them my wonders as I did in Egypt. Here we see it. Here it is, the exact same plagues, only they're like way bigger. They're upgraded. I mean, if you lived through the Exodus, let's say you were one of those Egyptians that made it through, you're like, that was crazy. That was nuts. Nothing like this could ever happen again. You just imagine some Jewish prophet coming and going, actually, you guys were just the dry run. At the end, we're going to really do it. You just imagine all of them just fainting in fear and dying. You know, like, I can't even fathom it could get worse. The plagues of Egypt were the prototype for the end time drama. It was just the beginning. And the storyline is very similar. The bad guys are too strong and they're oppressing God's people. That's the storyline of the book of Exodus and it's the storyline of the book of Revelation. Supernatural protection. This is the next area. So we just looked at the judgments, the parallel between the judgments of Exodus and the judgments of Revelation. Now let's look at the parallel of the protection of Exodus and the protection in Revelation. We're talking about a time, Daniel said, at the end of the age, top of page four, that would be unparalleled. But look what Daniel also says. End of the age. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. A people delivered. Well, that's exactly what happened during the Exodus. There, all these judgments were happening, but in the midst of all the judgments, the people of God were delivered. <clears throat> these judgments are aimed at the enemies of God, not at the people of God, just like the Exodus. I want to give you that 2 Peter 2, 9 verse. We talk about this 2 Peter 2, 9 verse like every other session during this study because it's so important we understand this is the plan for the end times. Not the church being raptured while the bad things are happening. The church being here and God showing himself very strong on behalf of his believers. 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And if you go and look at the context of that verse, it's Noah being delivered during the flood. Noah didn't leave the planet. Noah got on a boat. It's Lot being delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not Lot being raptured. It's Lot being protected and told divinely by angels, get out of here, sulfur is going to come down tomorrow. The Lord knows how to protect the righteous while judging the wicked on the same day in the same geography. The Lord knows how to do it. That's the storyline of the end times. So let's look at these plagues striking the Egyptians. Now we're going to go to Exodus, okay? So Exodus 9, 6, and then 9, 26. The next day, the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. I mean, this is prejudice. Big time. 
I mean, this is, this is a God with an agenda. Because all the Egyptians' animals, I mean, they all die. But only the Egyptians. You just imagine the Egyptian watching the Israelites' cow not die. Why'd your cow not die? My cows die. Why do your cows not die? Like, why, why does it's befuddling? It's maddening. And it's the way of the Lord. Because the Lord knows how to make that cow die and that cow live. It's really easy. He knows how to do this. We're the ones that are all confused. Like, how can he do it? It's, it has to be a plague. All those cows got the plague. Well, I'm telling you what, then. He made all these cows have immunity right in the middle of that plague. It wasn't a plague. It was a God. God jumped in there and started pushing cows over with his finger. Okay? The Egyptians' animals died. The Israelites' animals didn't die. Next verse. The only place where it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. The whole country gets hail. That's back to that one that was talking about it stripping everything off the trees. The whole country is getting a tree-stripping hailstorm. But not in, not in Goshen, not the land where the Israelites were, the, the small little community where they were, no hail. Because God knows how to make the hail hit that field and not that one. That guy and not that guy. It's really easy for him. All right, well, now let's look at what happens here in the trumpet judgments. Let's see the parallel. Because it says clearly that within the trumpet judgments, there's a targeting of those who take the mark of the beast. So the judgments are aimed at those who take the mark of the beast, not at the saints. Let's read it. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Seal of God, protected. No seal of God, problems. Revelation 9, verse 20 says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons. This is talking about the ones that are receiving the judgments, receiving the plagues, were those that had refused to repent and they refused to stop worshiping demons. So the ones that are having the judgments inflicted upon them are the ones that are worshiping demons and worshiping the Antichrist. All right, let's go to the bowls. During the bowl judgments, it says it again. Revelation 16, 2. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. It doesn't fall on the saints. It falls on the ungodly. God knows how to do this. This is the pattern. See, because we're supposed to remember the exodus. See, we're supposed to know what's coming because we've been told, remember, remember, remember when God brought you out of Egypt. Remember the Exodus account. Remember the way God did it. Remember the wonders, the signs and the wonders. It doesn't say, remember the judgments only. It says, remember the storyline. It's remember when I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Do you remember what I did for you then? Not just the judgments. Remember the details. You're going to need to remember because I'm going to do it again. Supernatural provision. I just gave you a little bit here. And it's mostly one-sided. I'll be honest with you about that. Most of what I gave you here in, in number four is related to the supernatural provision that's found in the book of Exodus. I'll just note, manna on the ground every day for 40 years. It's pretty profound provision, if you ask me. To be able to just walk out and find food. Quail flooding the camp. Supernatural quail to feed three million people. That's a lot of quails, friends. That's a lot of birds. 
You're going to try to feed three million people? You better have more than a bird. You're going to have a whole lot of bird. And they did. They had a whole lot of bird, and they had a whole lot of bread. How about water from a rock? You need to recognize water to feed three million people and how many animals? That's a lot of water. We're talking about a lake out of a rock. Hey, rock, give me a lake. Rocks don't give lakes. Lakes are either there or they aren't there. No, not really. When God wants to do it, when God delivers a people in an Exodus sort of a scenario, he can make a lake or a river or whatever you need happen real quick. I just want you to imagine a stream 15 inches wide trying to feed three million or drink water for three million people. Just try to imagine how insufficient that 15-inch wide stream, just a little bubbling brook coming out of the ground. How in the world are three million people going to drink that? They're all crowded. Uh, people are slushing in there. I'm telling you, there was a big old thing of water coming out of that rock, okay? And God just does this. Well, I just want to bring us to, I want to draw our attention, top of page six, to the fact of the Mark of the Beast system. The fact of the Mark of the Beast system means this. You cannot buy food. You cannot buy drink. The power company has turned off your water and your electricity. If you are still lucky enough to have a place to live, you do not have water because you didn't take the Mark of the Beast. You do not have food because you can't go to the grocery store and buy it. It will take all of four days for 100% of people who do not drink water to die. You can't have no water for more than a few days. You will die. You are 75% water. So if you don't drink stuff, you die. But that's not what happens during the end times. The church doesn't all not take the mark of the beast and then die four days later out of lack of water and food nutrition. Somehow the church continues on in the midst of that context for years. What does that mean? Supernatural provision of food and water. Remember the Exodus. Remember what I did? Remember my wonders? Just remember, I do that kind of stuff. I'm like that. So, man, I just can't wait to do it on a brick wall. I know no rock, because who knows where the other side of that rock is, but I know what's on the other side of that brick wall, the dude's living room. You go, brick wall, bring us a lake, and then boom, a lake. I don't know how all that's going to work. I don't know what's going to happen. I can tell you this, though. The God who did the Exodus is going to do it again. He's the one, he quoted him, to quote him, the wonders I did when I brought you out of Egypt, I'm going to do them again. I will show you those wonders yet again. And so there will be supernatural provision. God's prophets operating in signs and wonders. You just think about Moses and all the crazy stuff he did. Exodus 14, 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night, one little dude stretches out his hand. You know, I'm just stretching my hand. And a sea responds to the finger movement. And it says, all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and he turned it into dry ground. Dry ground is very different than what would be when that water lifts up. What would be is slush. You ever seen, you ever stepped in a pond and just your foot goes down in about a foot and a half of mud and goo? Okay, now try, let's say all the water just miraculously went away, and now try to go ahead and get your chariots and your livestock and stuff through three miles, I'm just making up the distance because we don't know how far it was, three miles of slush and goo. It's dry ground. It's not slush and goo. It's dry ground. Moses, by moving his hand, 
created a highway for three million people and a crudload of animals to walk through all that night. And then when it was time, he's like, ah, you can just go ahead and close it up now. And the water's closed up on all the bad guys. Guys, this is the most profound thing ever. That's the picture we're supposed to have. Remember the Exodus. That's the picture we're supposed to have about the two witnesses. The two witnesses that are coming, they're like that. Only they're operating on a global stage. They are going to be the most profound prophets fighting for the purposes of God in that generation like Moses was. And so when you see the two witnesses, it says of them, these men have power to shut up the sky so it will not rain during the time that they are prophesying. No rain for three and a half years. And it's on their word. They also have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. This is like Moses, only even more intense. We're supposed to remember the Exodus because it's going to happen again. The parallels of Moses and the two witnesses. We're supposed to see this. Not just one witness, but two. And both of them are moving in a power that's well beyond what Moses operated in. Well beyond. It says any plague they want as often as they like. What kind of mood are you in today, number two witness? Oh, man, I just can't wait to part some seas. Let's get to sea parting as often as we like. Let's part it and then unpart it. Part it and then unpart it. Let's just do it. Let's just see what happens. As often as they like. Now, they'll be redeemed. They'll be walking with the Lord, so they won't be foolish like that. But the point is, the Lord is going to give into their hands Moses Red Sea power, a parting kind of power. I mean, this is going to be profound. So the church is going to have the two witnesses leading the charge like the Israelites in the first exodus, 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 yeah, had Moses leading the charge to get them out of the land of Egypt. Guys, this is crazy. All right, let's keep going. Deliverance from tyrannical leadership. The Pharaoh was bad. The Antichrist makes the Pharaoh look like the guy you want to play poker with. The Antichrist is so bad. I gave you a few verses there of how bad and self-serving the Pharaoh was. He was into infanticide. He was actually mandating the killing of all the Hebrew boy uh, uh, babies. That's so bad. He was protecting his own interests. If that, I mean, that's like the worst but the whole system and the economy of Egypt in that hour was based off of slave labor because the entire population of the Jewish people were the slaves of Egypt that were actually helping build the infrastructure. So if something was getting built in that hour in Egypt, it was slaves, Jewish slaves, that were doing the work. He was so bad. And the Antichrist is going to be so much worse. The parallel is unbelievable when you see the pressure and the aggression, and the, the, just the hatred of God that Pharaoh had. And then you look at the Antichrist and who he is. It's all the more. I gave you a few verses there. I'm going to be moving a little bit quickly through the rest of these pages just so I can at least touch on each of the subjects for a second. Israel's deliverance leading to their salvation. When Israel was brought up out of Egypt, do you know what happened in the hearts of many, many, many of the Israelites, they were not just physically delivered. They recognized there is the spiritual reality. God is real, and we need him. 
Yesterday, they weren't thinking about God. Now it's all they can think about. Yesterday, they might not have been a follower of Jehovah, but today, they're following Jehovah. I mean, literally following him wherever he goes. They're following the cloud around out in the wilderness. They were following him. There is something tied. It's not, any, it's not a, uh, uh, a given. It's not a mandate that if someone gets delivered by God, they will give their life to God. That is not a mandate. That is not a, a, a given. But I'll tell you what. When people have a profound miracle in their life where God delivers them, it causes them to think long and hard about who God is. It causes them to think long and hard. And many turn to God as a result. Many do. Well, during the time of the Exodus, the nation turned to God. Now, they still had their issues and things that they had to work out. But a nation experienced deliverance and salvation. The same thing is going to happen in the end times. Specifically, even with the Jews. The greatest number of Jews that are going to give their lives to Jesus are going to give their lives to Jesus the same way that, remember, the Exodus operated. They're going to see the biggest expression of God being real on their behalf and them softening their hearts and turning to God in the midst. There's going to be a profound deliverance and salvation of the Jewish people in the last days. Skipping over to page 10. Making pretty good time here. Operation of the demonic realm. You guys remember I kind of alluded to it. But look at this Exodus 10, 21 through 22 for a second. Stretch out your hand towards the sky, Moses, so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Okay, normally when you spread your hand towards the sky, the sky laughs at you and does nothing. You just happen to block the sun with your hand. Ah, darkness! No, dude, that's your hand and the shadow that's reflected on your eyes right now. But when Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, it says darkness fell all over Egypt. Spreads. A darkness that spreads. What kind of darkness is contagious? A darkness that spreads, it says darkness that can be felt. See, what Moses was doing is he was actually removing a significant component of the barrier between the natural realm and the demonic realm. Because when Moses stretched out his hand, darkness fell in a supernatural way. And this was not a good thing. This was not a, a, a hooray moment. This was a darkness that could be felt. Because now the veil, the barrier between the natural realm and the demonic realm, it shrunk or went away or got, you know, real thinned out or something. Because now the people could feel the demonic presence. They were able to feel this darkness. And the reason I think that they weren't able to go anywhere, I think it was sheer terror. I think that they were petrified in fear. And the thought of moving was terrifying because at least they knew what horrible darkness they were feeling directly next to them. But what if the darkness 15 feet away was worse? I think that the reason that they couldn't, I mean, there's a lot of factors going into that, but here's the point I'm trying to make. During the Exodus, the Egyptians got a taste of the demonic realm. And it was part of the plagues of Egypt. One of the plagues of Egypt was darkness that could be felt. We just have to keep that could be felt thing. The darkness that spreads. The darkness, total darkness covered Egypt for three days. No one could see anything else or move about for three days. Those are all details that tell us what kind of darkness it was. Well, what do we see in the book of Revelation? We see the abyss opening up and stuff coming out of the abyss. Demonic hordes 
coming up out of the abyss in Revelation. Revelation chapter 9, during the trumpet judgments, we see the abyss open and a darkness that can be felt, a darkness that's interacted with because hordes of demons are coming up out of hell and are now plaguing the earth during the book of Revelation in a very unique way. So actually, what was experienced during the Exodus was level one demonic activity. A darkness that could be felt, but three days later, we're back to normal. What happens in the book of Revelation, when the abyss is opened up, there's not a veil being thinned. There's not a barrier being thinned for a minute. Hell is opened up and stuff comes out of hell and causes significant problems, okay? All right, let's keep going. The manifest presence of God. We've been spending the last few sessions talking about the sky receding like a scroll and all of mankind being able to peer through that hole in the sky, Revelation chapter 6, in the sixth seal. All of mankind being able to peer through that window and it says they can see God on the throne and they can see the Lamb of God and they know that what's happening on the earth is related to their wrath. So they're able to see, they're able to interact with heaven. Think about how profound of an interaction the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was during the Exodus. It said they would be led around during the day. It would be a pillar of cloud. Just imagine what that looks like, a pillar, but a big one. But the pillar is made of cloud. It's like a really big cloud. It doesn't tell us exactly how wide it is, but it's not as small as one of these little poles in here. I mean, this pillar of cloud was big enough that the whole nation could see it and follow it. So let's say it's as big as like this building. Maybe it's much bigger. Maybe it's as big as the block. And it's a pillar of cloud. But at night, instead of it being a pillar of cloud, it's a nightlight. And it's a pillar of fire. And it moves. And everybody follows it and goes, that's God. Your God is a pillar of cloud? Sort of. We don't really have all that worked out right now. We just know God got us out of Egypt. He said, follow the cloud. We just follow it. Wherever it goes, we just go. Life's better. We tried not doing it that way a couple times. It didn't go good for us. We just follow it wherever it goes. The manifestation of the presence of God, the loudest it had ever been, it will be even louder during the end times. The presence of God leading the people of God. We want to think about that. Remember the Exodus. How easy was it for the people of God to know where to go and what to do next? Easy peasy. Now, you may not have liked it. It might have felt weird. We just follow a cloud. We just we try not to tell my mother and father-in-law what we're doing. It's really weird. But, man, we just follow the cloud. Wherever it goes, we go. It's like it's going to be all that and much more during the end time drama. Remember the Exodus. Remember the Exodus. Remember when I brought you out of Egypt. You're going to need this again. As in the days I brought you out of Egypt, so I will show them my wonders yet again. We're going to need the Exodus account again. Okay. Well, let's break into groups. How many groups we got tonight? Yeah? Okay, so in the comparison between Moses going to Pharaoh and the, uh, the parallel of the two witnesses... Do the two witnesses go to the court of Antichrist? Do they go before Antichrist? Are they interacting with Antichrist? Absolutely. So the, uh, the way that it describes the ministry of the two witnesses, and I'll just let you know if your questions are two witness heavy tonight, we're going to spend a whole session on the two witnesses. So I'm probably going to just give brief answers. Um, but uh, it says of the, the two witnesses that 
their ministry is in Jerusalem. But it says of the Antichrist, he sets up his headquarters in the temple, which is in Jerusalem. So you've got both the Antichrist and the two witnesses. Primary ministry city is Jerusalem. And so the thought process of the uh, two witnesses operating in front of uh, Antichrist in a similar manner to how Pharaoh operated in front, I'm sorry, Moses operated in front of Pharaoh, that's a pretty good picture, actually. That's a, that's a good uh, connection point there because it says that the, it, it, the picture is that these two witnesses are going to be infuriating to the Antichrist, but it says he can't touch them, he can't kill them until their time is up at three and a half years. So for three and a half years, these two guys are the bane of the Antichrist's existence because they are able to walk around in the same city that the Antichrist has set up his global headquarters in. The two witnesses are operating with total immunity inside the headquarter city of the planet of the Antichrist. I mean, it's, that's crazy. Uh, so great uh, connection point there. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so the two witnesses, what are they witnessing? Uh, well, they are witnessing, they, they are actually, that's a great question. They, they are wrapping up the age. They are wrapping up the age. And all the promises of God are being fulfilled on their watch in front of them. And they're testifying to not just the end time Pharaoh, Antichrist, they're testifying to the world of the truth of the scripture, of the validity of the power of God, of the chron chronological fulfillment of the book of Revelation, to the reality of Jesus Christ, to the goodness of the character of God. They are witnessing everything. They are the witnesses of everything. It says, let every uh, testimony be established by two or more witnesses. These two witnesses are bearing witness to the validity of everything that's in the Bible and everything that who, who God is. And even to the point where the craziest stuff that just could not possibly be possible, i.e. the book of Revelation, is happening exactly like the book of Revelation said it would. And these two witnesses are calling out ahead of time, watching, walking around Jerusalem, owning the show. And don't forget, there is going to be still some version of the spread of information. So whether that's media, news sources, whatever winds up happening in the midst of all the destruction and the, the removal of infrastructure. So now, you know, Channel 5 doesn't operate anymore because Channel 5's headquarters got hit by, you know, a hailstone or whatever. There's still going to be the sharing of information. There's still going to be the dispensing of information, even globally. The Antichrist will have a global network. So these two witnesses, whatever they say, portions of it for sure are going to get globally tweeted. I mean, there's going to be things that are going to be said and done that is going to get out there, and they will actually be testifying on God's behalf all of the exact opposite stuff that the Antichrist is saying. God isn't really God, I'm God. The two witnesses are going, no, you're a liar. God's real God. Boom, miracle. And then, and then everybody's going to be like, oh, dang, it's kind of hard to refute that one. Uh, but another point that we didn't get into tonight is even the component of Jambres and Janus, or whatever the two uh, mag magicians' names were, that operated under Pharaoh that were able to reproduce the first few miracles that Moses did. Turning the stick into a snake, they were able to do it. Turning the water into blood, they were able to do it. There will be that level of demonic activity at the end of the age as well. And they'll be duplicating stuff as well, but only to a point. 
And then eventually, they're going to get out of their league, just like those two dudes got out of their league when Moses started releasing gnats and locusts and frogs and everything else. They're like, you know what, Pharaoh, we actually can't do that one. We don't, that must be the finger of God. That was the quote from the magicians. That must be the finger of God. Because we can't do that, we don't know nothing about that. So there'll be a little bit of that going too. I don't know how I wound up on six tangents away from Tuesday, but whatever. All right, uh, this group. Worship leader, if you'll come on up, whoever the worship leader is, I just wanted to remember that. Okay, so in the Exodus, the level of preparation that the Israelites required in order to be able to participate was kind of none. I mean, like what, what lead did they, what head up, heads up, what notice did they get? Kind of none. So how does that equate to the end times? Well, so the end times, one of the things that's important, and this is, this is a great uh, question because the Word of God interprets the Word of God And so we never want to develop all our theology based off of one passage that speaks about a subject when the Bible speaks about that same subject in 10 or 20 places. We want to develop our theology about a subject based off of all the passages that deal with that subject. So Jesus is the one that said, related to the end times, his most repeated phrase uh, in the New Testament related to end times is watch and pray. Watch and pray. Be ready. Don't be like the one who a thief catches in the middle of the night. Be ready. Watch and pray. Be ready. Watch and pray. So while the Israelites were not given that sort of heads up, the church is told definitively, you must be ready. Watch and pray. Prepare. Here are the signs of the times. I'm going to give you the signs so that you can pay attention so that when you see those, you can know that you're living in the generation that I'm going to come back to so that you can be paying attention, so that you can watch and pray. So while the parallel is not a perfect one to the Exodus because they knew nothing, a good parallel is that which happened the first time in unpreparedness, the church will be able to operate in preparedness at the second time, at the second Exodus, because we've been told, pay attention, we were given the storyline ahead of time. Whereas the Israelites, they didn't have the Exodus to look back to. The church at the end has both the Exodus and the book of Revelation. To look at to prepare for what's coming. Great question. Uh, okay, so in uh, the book of Revelation, I'm sorry, in the uh, Exodus, the land of Goshen was where the Israelites were located geographically. It was kind of their hood, okay? The land of Goshen was the area where the Israelites lived. And so during the Exodus, the point that was just made was wasn't it kind of easier for God to protect them because all he had to do was leave that zip code alone, you know, and well, those three zip codes, whatever it was. But during the end times, the church is going to be all intermingled here and there. Uh, So how does that work? God has absolutely no problem making distinction. And if we remember, I think the, the highlight moment of the Exodus was actually the sealing of the doorposts with the blood of, of the lamb's blood that was put over the doors, uh, which was supposed to be a picture of what's going to happen in the end times, okay? It's supposed to be a picture of Jesus' blood covering. But it's interesting that that was the last plague because what it says is anybody that didn't have the blood over the doorpost, they experienced the death angel coming into their house and killing somebody. But that one had nothing to do with geography. That one had everything to do with obedience, and I think that's going to be the precedent. The majority of it's going to be the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If he says, hey, everybody, go put pennies on your front porch, just do it. Okay, I mean, if he says put blood over the door, do it. If the Holy Spirit says everybody out of 76018, 
But you can go hang out in 76013 tonight. Then everybody get out of 76018. I mean, when the Lord's leadership comes, there's going to be a requirement of partnership uh, with the church. So I think actually the culmination up to the greatest plague actually did require participation. And while the, further, the, few, the, the prior ones, geography was protected, the final, as in like we're building up, we're building up, we're building up to the real big point, the final point, the final plague of Egypt required participation and obedience. And it wouldn't have mattered geographically at all. It mattered, did they pay attention to the obedience? So I think there's going to be pieces of all that. There's going to be a geographic points where the Lord's like, hey, if everybody goes over to Jimmy's house tonight, Jimmy's house will be protected. We all go to Jimmy's. and We're protected and everybody else is in trouble. But there's a ton of Jimmy's. And everybody else, then the body of Christ is getting the message for their local Jimmy. Okay? All right, there's going to be moments like that. There's going to be zip codes that are going to be protected because of righteous leadership. There's going to be moments where God says, everybody follow me in this direction. Everybody, I mean, the seal of God that we talked about last week. There's going to be a dynamic structure of protection that is not going to be limited to geography, though I think there'll be expressions of geographic protection. Uh, but it won't be limited to that, just like it wasn't limited in the Exodus. Great question. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.